that comes. It's Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter, the podcast that interviews the most interesting and influential people making an impact on Nashville's business, charitable, and entertainment scenes. Joining us now from his roving camper studio, here's Andrew. Welcome to episode 42 of Nashville Untold, and thank you for tuning in. Today in the Rambler, I'll be hosting Jeff Brown. If someone were to say, Jeff, why do you do the Read to Lead podcast, my podcast, I would say because I believe that intentional and consistent reading is key to success in business and in life. And it's because of that belief that I want to encourage and help as many people as I can to understand the value in reading and lifelong learning so that they can apply what they've learned and go much further than they could otherwise. Jeff is an award-winning radio producer and personality and former nationally syndicated morning show host. Following a 26-year career in radio, Jeff went boss-free in 2013 and soon after launched Read to Lead podcast. It's gone on to become a four-time Best Business podcast nominee and has featured Jeff's interviews with today's best business and nonfiction authors, including Alan Alda, Seth Godin, John Maxwell, Liz Wiseman, Dr. Henry Cloud, Gary Vanderchuk, Simon Sinek, Brian Tracy, and over 200 more. Jeff has personally coached hundreds of successful podcasters around the globe, many of them award nominees and winners themselves, and has consulted on podcasts for the U.S. government, one of the largest churches in the U.S., and numerous multi-million dollar companies. Jeff and his work have been featured in Inc., Entrepreneur, and HubSpot. The blogs of Seth Godin, Chris Brogan, Jeff Coins, and Social Media Explorer, as well as publications like the Nashville Business Journal, The Tennessean, and over 100 other blogs and podcasts. I can say Jeff is a great guy. I was able to hang out with him after the podcast, got to meet his wife. We had uh, some ribs. Actually, we had to, uh, well, we didn't have to cut the interview short, but uh, his wife was texting saying, hey, the food's ready. It's going to get cold. <laughs> so we we had to uh, we had to quit talking so much. Um, but yeah, it was fun. Got to hang out with him and uh, enjoy his uh, back deck um, and just kind of hearing even more of his story. So that's, you know, the, the reality is, is an hour with someone only dives in so deep, uh, try to hit on some of the main points. But, uh, you know, Getting to hang out afterwards is always great. So I know you enjoyed this uh, episode. You'll see someone that was uh, in the corporate world for several years and was able to uh, step out, not so much by his choice, but he had planned for it. So that's the biggest thing. I think uh, one of the big takeaways is you never know what's going to happen. So, you know, always have a, a backup plan in place get something going on the side. And so Jeff talks about that and, and his journey and um, why he does what he does and, and why he loves it so much. So I know you'll enjoy this uh, interview as much as I did. So sit back and enjoy. And at the end of the podcast, uh, Moat from uh, last week's episode, he'll be playing another song. So uh, make sure to stay tuned for that. And now, without further ado, here's Jeff. Hello, Nashville. Today, I am sitting down with Jeff Brown. Hi. Thank you for joining me in the Rambler. 
thank you for coming all the way to my house. I know. I'm like, <laughs> why do you want to live all the way out here? Because <laughs> it's peaceful, right? It is very peaceful. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it it is. is. I jumped off that exit and uh, I saw a car about rear end. I guess it gets a little backed up, you know? Yeah. And I, I probably saw it a half a mile before I saw brake lights. So I'm already prepared. Yeah. Yeah. And this dude, I'm just like, what's he doing? You know, I mean, he, and then he goes to the side and, you know, he, it's happened before with me, but mm. he lands there. And then on the way here on 840, I'm cruising 75, this motorcycle is probably doing, I'm guessing 180. Oh my gosh. He's cutting right between cars. He comes uh. right up beside me and a car was beside me. Oh my gosh, that, I've seen motorcyclists do that before. It just drives me crazy. That fast? I mean, I'm just thinking that is just. I've been, you know, accredited with being a crazy driver, but that's just insane. Yeah. Like, anyways, all right. So, uh, Jeff, thank you again for joining me, my pleasure, Rambler. And uh, you know, it's kind of intimidating sitting with a, a fellow podcaster <laughs> who has many podcasts out there. Um, or episodes, I should say. <laughs> One podcast, and lots of episodes. You've been on the radio, so are you? I, want, I just want to ask you again: Are you comfortable I'm in front of the mic? I'm very nervous. Are you nervous? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, dive in. Mm. So, tell the audience what currently gets you excited to wake up every morning. You know, this is probably going to sound like I'm a really boring person, but I love to read <laughs> and I love to learn. That wasn't always. Uh, the case uh, school kind of educated out of me I have to say the love to learn really and and to and I don't mean to knock on you know awesome teachers and awesome schools and there are plenty of those out there um, but in my early 30s I kind of got that fire back and I realized the value of being a lifelong learner and so I'm reading something every day and so I'm always excited to start the day with that that's one of the first things I do in the morning um, and certainly my career and my job my company it gets me up uh, as does my wife and my three dogs mm -hmm. uh, i get excited about them too but yeah i really um just look for the opportunity to start the day thinking what am i going to learn today that i didn't know yesterday mm -hmm. you know so do you uh you start with the paper like the newspaper and i don't um okay. i used to read the paper pretty religiously uh and we took it here at home we haven't taken it in a while but i i generally will start with a, a book that i'm it could be a book i'm reading for the show it could be uh, you know, a book about, say, I'm reading one now on productivity, uh, not related to the show, but but a, but a topic I'm passionate about. I rarely read fiction. It's almost always nonfiction. Okay. And so I'll do that. I'll usually do some Bible reading in the morning and journal as well. I haven't always been consistent with that, but I'm mm -hmm. trying to be um, more consistent with that lately. I've got a routine. If If I do all of my daily rituals or my morning rituals, it takes about three to three and a half hours okay. to do them all. So, and that includes exercise and showering, and all that. But I'll generally get up around or usually by five thirty. And if I can get all those parts of my daily ritual checked off by nine, then I I'm pretty confident I'm going to have a pretty solid day. Right. Yeah. Do you uh, you follow the full focus planner? I do use one. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I I, sh I sure do, and I, I've used it for about. Uh, well, I guess a year and a half, maybe. I mean, I guess going on two years. Has it been out that long? Yeah, I think going on two years. And that's been great for me. I used to use a day timer. Mm -hmm. And and then before that, I was all digital. And I, I was all digital with just about everything for about 14, 15 years. And 
I finally realized that the reason things were working for me is because I need to write. I need to, mm-hmm. you know, just the act of writing things down is mm-hmm. huge for me. And it just took me a long time to figure that out. I used a daytimer for a while. And then when, when Hyatt came out with a full focus planner, I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to try this at least. And I never went back to anything that's been using ever since. So speaking of reading all the time, mm-hmm. um, I and speaking of Tim Ferriss, I listened to a podcast um a couple weeks weekends ago on mm-hmm. a trip and he interviewed an author i won't remember the name <laughs> but it was it was a great interview you should check it out mm-hmm. um just with like he's a famous author but he talked about writing the books and how he went you know digital but then he went back to writing it with the um, mm-hmm. okay. pen and and how like it actually was almost more efficient because you had to you thought more versus mm-hmm. like oh i can just type all this stuff out and then i can go back and edit it where it's like you really didn't want to do that when writing yeah. a pencil, but it was a really, it was a really interesting interview. Mm-hmm. Well, like Hyatt, I use this when it comes to just planning and goals. I use a hybrid mm-hmm. system, so I've got a digital calendar, right? But I marry that with the with the planner, and that's that combination works really well for me. I found. Yeah. So all right, all right. So uh, let's go back to the first time you rolled over as a baby. What do you remember about that moment? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> okay. All right. Maybe. Maybe. What are some fond memories that come to mind of your childhood? Mm. Uh, I I remember uh, Christmases were always fun. Uh, I have a younger brother and a younger sister. My brother's just a couple of years younger than me. My sister about five years younger. My, my brother and I at Christmas though, because we were so close in age, we got a lot of shared gifts. Remind me, what'd you just say the age difference was? A uh, couple of years. Okay. Yeah, All a couple right. years younger, about twenty-one months, and so we got a lot of shared gifts. And so I remember one year. I was probably 10, maybe 11, uh, and we got a go-kart. Oh, nice, fun. We got a TV for our room. We hadn't had one of those previous to that. And we got a full-blown stereo system that, this is, I'm gonna date myself, that included a record player, mm-hmm. an analog radio, AM, FM radio, mm-hmm. and an eight-track okay. player. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember uh, a lot of, uh, Moments alone in my room pretending to be a disc jockey right. playing with that thing. But uh, that was one of our uh, my, my fondest memories as a kid that Christmas and, and those gifts where we were just so stoked about them. And uh, the go-kart especially lasted us many, many years. And we probably irritated lots of neighbors riding them through the yeah. streets. Did y'all, you and your brother um, share a room? We did. Yeah, bunk beds. Uh, so were y'all on. close throughout? Like, um, You know, as, as we got into our teen years, we drifted apart. Um, I, I was sort of like the, uh, among the three kids, I was the terror of the three. Mm. I was great at school, the model, uh, behavior, uh, behaviorally speaking, the model student, but at home, I was always getting into trouble. How does that work? <laughs> I, I mean, I have two. Yeah. Were you the middle? I was the oldest. Okay. Yeah, I was the oldest. But I, I, on the outside, everybody thought I was this, this great kid, but on, in the inside at home, it's kind of, kind of, kind of a metaphor for, you know, uh, some people are one person on the outside, another person on the inside. Away from home, I was a great kid, uh, but at home, I, I terrorized my siblings. I would, mm. uh, oh gosh, they, they grew up, uh, when we got into our teen years, they both disliked me very, very much. Let's just say <laughs> that since then, we've smoothed things oh, over now good. that we're adults. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, when we were kids, I was not well liked by my siblings. They kind of like teamed up just so they could, like, right. you know. Uh, well, I ask that because I, I have two, three boys, and yeah. then two are year and a half, two and a half, um, okay, two and a half years apart, and the oldest is just bossy, and you know <laughs> it's just so annoying because I'm that like, why can't y'all, you know, you know, get along? <laughs> and I always wonder, you know, like 
because I know even with my sisters, like we've, I had one a year older and one a year and about a year and a half younger. And, um, we fought, even though my, I played with my younger sister until I probably wouldn't get in my way. And then mm. I was mean, but, um, then we became, you know, friends <laughs> later in life. Uh, but yeah, the boys are just, you know, crazy. And the middle child, which I was the middle child, mm. he is, he got like citizenship award and he is sweet and loving and all this stuff. <laughs> but at home, he can be like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> like I'm going to pull my hair out and your hair out, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so it is funny. It is because, you know, when they go to school and they get all these accolades, you're like, who, who is this kid? <laughs> who are you? <laughs> Why are you not bringing that to the house? Yeah, you know? Yeah. I, I made it rough for my parents, too. <laughs> that's funny. Um, all right, so what kind of stuff were you into as a teenager? So you yeah. obviously were causing trouble at the house, but, like, what was uh, what your teen years looked like? Yeah, it was music for me. Music was everything. Um, okay. I, uh, well, when it came to what I enjoyed listening to as rock and roll, I, I found my first rock and roll radio station when I was about in the second grade, maybe third grade. I ended up on the radio when I was in second or third grade uh, through a series of events, um, but uh, became fascinated with the radio after that and loved rock and roll. was a huge Billy Joel fan uh, in my younger years, teenage years. Uh, but then also in junior high, got involved with, with band at school and started learning music and playing an instrument and all that um, and went to college to study music as well later. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, um, but yeah, that to me, music was everything. I listened to music constantly. I, I thought I was going to be a rock and roll, you know, legend when I grew up. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was. If it wasn't about music, I wasn't interested, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. All right. So looking back over the pre-college years, what influence did your parents um, and your environment have on you? So kind of during the teen year, you know, overall focusing more on like the parents or where you lived, you know, where did yeah. you live? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, I was in Indianapolis, Indiana. In fact, my mom still lives in the same house. Oh, wow. They got when they, in 62, when they got married, she's never lived anywhere else. My dad passed away okay. uh, last year. Hmm. Sorry uh, to hear that. But uh, always lived in the same house, uh, still there when I go visit her. Um, but yeah, my teen years, I, it kind of got worse and, my, and I, I, I didn't get in trouble with drugs and alcohol and that kind of stuff, but I just was an angry teenager for mm. reasons I can't really explain. And so I was a handful for my parents. But at the same time, I mean, I had my moments. But, um, you know, I had had a close relationship with my mom in the sense that I could talk to her about anything. Uh, and, and my dad at that time had begun um, his own business um, and was an entrepreneur there for about 15, 20 years or so before for uh, uh, getting out for, for uh, selling that. But um they did what they could with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just like let's let's get him through high school, and hopefully he'll get into a college somewhere, and he'll he'll be somebody else's problem. You know? <laughs> so what do you think? What did you figure out? Why you think? Why you think you were angry? And uh, I, I ask that because sometimes yeah. you know, I'll you know, or sometimes I'll reflect on myself and just finding that that joy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're like, why is, why are you frustrated? You know? Yeah. And then I, I think about our oldest, mm-hmm. um, who can tend to be like that sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, you know, why do you get so frustrated all the time? But yeah. did you ever figure it out or you, you just know, grew out of it? Like, I, I think I grew out of it. Uh, Andrew, I don't know if I ever, actually, I would definitely say you grew out of it. Cause I don't see that at all. <laughs> so yeah. what I see now. Yeah. I, but, I don't know that I could, I, that I ever did put my finger on what that was. Um, I mean, I know my parents for a long time. My dad used to always say to me, 
one day, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't afraid to like, I'm a, I'm a relatively small in stature guy, right? Mm-hmm. Five, nine, 165 pounds. You I'm know? right with you. <laughs> and um, on a good day, I'm 165. But, um, you know, my dad used to say, someday, I worry that someday you're going to get in the face of the wrong person and they're going to mess you up. <laughs> now, thankfully, that that never happened. You probably knew the the uh, what was it? You would push just far enough, yeah, right, and yeah. then you would you know know when to back off. I guess maybe, or yeah. Just never happened. And I I was I was a pretty good runner. Okay, <laughs> so I was. I mean, I, re- I remember being bullied in, in in junior high by this guy that was probably twice my size, um, out on the the playground or the baseball field mm-hmm. or something, and. And I just remember just like throwing my drink at his face, mm-hmm. you know, and then just taking off. <laughs> but I can outrun him, so I'll just throw my drink at his face. I'm not worried about, you know, the next time I see him. Right. I just don't like what he's doing. And so I wasn't afraid to stand up to people bigger than me, but I also knew when it was time to take right. off. <laughs> right. So I, I didn't have those moments, thankfully, that my dad warned me about, but right. it's probably a miracle that I didn't actually oh that's funny all right so now let's talk about the college years um i know you um started out aiming towards music education or a music teaching um but then took a break and later eventually went back and pursued a business degree yeah uh what did those college years look like for you and how as parents can we better prepare our kids Mm. for post high school years yeah yes yeah i think i'm not I, i wasn't one who was mature enough for college when it came time to go to college, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. And I went to college right out of high school because that's what you were supposed to do. That's what everybody did. Um, and I went to study music. I mean, I had that interest all the, all that time in music, but I decided to study music because that's what everybody said I was gifted in and I should do. And I wasn't really certain that's what I should do, but that's what everybody said I should do. So that's what I did. I had some interest in radio and pursuing that. I remember a high school going back a moment a guidance counselor questioning me uh, as to why I was taking these radio classes that my high school offered. My high school had a radio station. Um, and he said, are you going to do radio as a career? And by that time, everybody had said, no, it's music. So I, I told the guidance counselor, no. And he says, well, you don't need to take these classes. And he marked them out. And I so regret letting him make that decision for me. Um, so I did the thing that everybody said I was supposed to. And I did it for about two years, two and a half years in college as a music ed major and realized, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to. I did a semester of student teaching at the junior high level. And that's where you go and, you know, you pretend for a semester. And I hated it. Mm. I just hated it. And um, that's when I dropped out. My parents were upset because they paid a lot of money. Um, and Where'd you go to college? I was at Butler University okay. in Indianapolis, um, known for its, its music um, college and program. Uh, and I was out for about three years before I went back, but it was during that time I was away. My mom went to a career fair with my sister, who, as, as I said, was about five years younger. And at this time, thinking about what she's going to do. And my mom came back and said, there's this professional broadcasters institute that had this booth set up at the career fair. And they're opening up the school and you've had this interest. I think you should you should go check that out. And so I did. And I was the first ever person to be a student at that school, the first to graduate. I got a crash course in radio over six months mm-hmm. and got placed into my first radio job. Did you, so when you went back, when you went to that school, were, were you focused on business then? Or no, was that? No, this was pre, pre-business. pre Yeah, okay. this was all um, just radio, crash course, six months. Okay, okay. And it was later, uh, once my radio career 
began and I got married the first time. Okay. That my my wife to be and her mother, my mother in law, insisted that again people telling me what to do that I go back and get a degree that I needed to do that and mm. so I started that process and um, after we had gotten married a year and a half into pursuing that degree we got divorced so I was married a total of like two and a half years uh, 23 24 25 uh, but I continued even after those individuals were out of my life I mm. thought well I've started I'm a year and a half into a three-year program right. I'm gonna go ahead and finish and so I did so I got my business degree okay but continued on in radio in one form or another um and sometimes that was part-time and i did you know other jobs like sell cars for a living or mm -hmm. <laughs> do radio on the weekends and that sort of thing uh but uh but yeah i got the degree and did the thing everybody said i was supposed to do has that degree ever helped me in my career i can't say that it has but i'm glad that i took the time to get so, it, so so the second part of that question was how do you going through that experience mm -hmm. and i can't imagine that there's a ton of kids that are you know would agree that we're as mature, you know, <laughs> as we need to be. I wasn't either. Like, mm. I was like, well, everybody else is supposed to go. I want to go. I went and right. I was going for engineering. I wanted okay. to design cars. Mm -hmm. And, uh, which I don't even think my degree was, would have even gotten there. But then I went the business route because I didn't like calculus. You know? <laughs> Neither did I. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh man, I got to study for a class. I was really good at math. Yeah. And now I got to, like, you know, I can't like crammed the night before literally i was mm. sitting on my bed trying to study i'm thinking oh crap i've screwed up <laughs> <laughs> been there because i don't know anything and i didn't do my work and stuff i got a d plus um, in calculus <laughs> uh, i think i yeah i actually i probably did and i i really think that uh my account or the teacher was just nice because mm. i don't know how i actually i missed the final exam because mm. i was so i went to school in conway arkansas uca mm. I was visiting my wife, well, mm -hmm. my girlfriend at the time, Natalie, at Fayetteville. And I just didn't want to go back for the weekend, and it was finals week. So I I think I was actually going back late, and then um, my oil, oil cap fell mm -hmm. off on my truck because oh. I had to add oil to it. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, whatever reason, I couldn't make the test. So I just went back and stayed for another couple of days in Fayetteville. <laughs> and so I had to make it up, you know. Oh, boy. And uh and so I took this test and it was like maybe 10 questions. And after I got done, I was like, there's no way like I passed that. I think he gave, you know, a point here and there for it. And I yeah. think it was just being nice because like, yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> so what's your, what's your advice? And I think even thinking mm -hmm. with like, you know, just reading and the education and, you know, how do you prepare kids better for, and, and that's why I say, yeah. um, post, High school, because right. not everybody's going to be going to college. That's kind of changed a lot too. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I'm all about learning and, and education. Um, I do think though that too many of us are, mind you, this is coming from someone who doesn't have kids. Mm -hmm. But I think too many of us are sending our kids to college because we think that's what they're supposed to do, or that's how we as a family look successful in society's mm -hmm. opinion. Uh, if they don't go to college or they don't make it into college, then that somehow makes us look like we failed as as parents. And, and we've seen the scandals here recently, the college entrance scandals and the links that parents will go to to get their kids oh, yeah. in school. Yeah, that's, somebody told me about that recently. I was like, wow. Yeah, and it's just nuts when you think about why are we doing that. And now, are there professions where, yeah, if you want to do them, you if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a lawyer, you know, uh, what have you. Yeah, you're going to need some college to do those things. But for so many things I'm uh, that people want to do, I've got, I've got a nephew 
who is studying uh, journalism uh, communications uh, at um, Belmont and here in Nashville. Uh, and he's already uh, working for um, A to Z Sports and you know at Titans games, he's in the press box. He can call you know, color commentary like nobody's business. He's 19 years old. And I'm telling him, think of the opportunity costs, mm -hmm. the things you're preventing yourself from being able to do because you have to say no because you got to go to a class. Mm -hmm. I'm telling his, his mom, the best thing for him would be to quit college only because he's got these at the foot in, in the door of these other things that are so awesome that he's already headed down the road to doing more of if he didn't have all these other responsibilities that college you know put, puts on him now that's i wouldn't give that advice to just anybody mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but he's someone who is going to go far in a college in, in, in that profession a college degree is not going to matter one iota mm -hmm. relatively speaking yeah it is really interesting because i'm just sitting there thinking like you still have people that I'm the, you know, I was the first one out of my, you know, my family to go to college and it's mm. such a big accomplishment. Right. Right. So there is that pressure. And I was that for, for my family. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, actually my, I think my dad got associate, but yeah, it, so it's interesting to think that it, because it is changing over and that was, I mean, probably it's changed a whole lot over the last 20 or 30 years yeah. just because really technology, right. the accessibility yeah. and, you know, even with podcasts, I mean, you yeah. can literally become an expert and really hone into a topic on a podcast and get super educated, you know? And I'm somebody who, you know, this is coming from someone who was taught at the college level. Um, I did uh, get invited to go back uh, a couple of years ago, I guess 2016, and teach a course at, at Middle Tennessee State University. I taught it in fall of 2016, fall of 2017. I'm going back to Where'd teach. you get your business degree? I got that at IU okay. uh, from, well, IUPUI, Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. Satellite campus, but the degree is from, quote, unquote, IU. So I've, I've taught there two semesters. I'm going back in the spring to teach again. And and, and I'm, I'm teaching these kids the course I'm going to be teaching. And when they asked me back, I said, I have to be able to teach this or I'm not going to mm -hmm. come back. I don't want to do podcasting again, which is what I did before, which is... Part of what I'll be doing, but not right. solely that. I said, I want to teach kids about online business. Mm -hmm. I want to teach kids about how when they get out of college, they have more choices than just to go work for somebody else mm -hmm. if, if, if they know about these other opportunities. So um, that's something I'm really excited about to teach kids that, you know, if you're going to come to college and learn, let's learn about something that most colleges aren't teaching you. And that's that the, the point isn't to do these four years and then go get a job necessarily. There are mm -hmm. other things you can do. So. Yeah. Um, so how were the early years and I'm not sure what your first gig was in mm -hmm. the radio business, mm -hmm. but I know you're on way FM. Yeah. Years ago. Jeff and Marcia Ware show, right? Yeah. There was Marcia and Jeff. That was one iteration. There was yeah. Jeff and Stace in the morning was another yeah. iteration. Yeah. Cause yeah. whenever we, uh, met you guys in Franklin, you know, my wife was, was with, she's like, his name sounds really familiar, <laughs> and and I, obviously I had met you, but I don't think I connected. You know, connect it's box, like yeah. okay, I think maybe I looked at, looked you up and saw WFM, and you know, so it's funny because we listened to WFM because you didn't have all the technology with you know the yeah, yeah. the radio, and it was like um, if you wanted to listen to some good wholesome music, you know, <laughs> right. you listen to. YFM. So, uh, yeah, Natalie was, Natalie was a little all shocked. Like, oh, that's Jeff, you know? <laughs> that guy we used to listen to in the car on the way to take the kids to school. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, can we not just listen to some rap? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, so um, was that was that your first job out of college, or well, you had one before college, but you know, your yeah. first radio gig. Um, I did several. What was it like in front of of the mic for the first time? Yeah, I remember interning at a station in Indianapolis that was a what was called a music of your life format. So that meant that you know people who were, had one foot in the grave listened to right. <laughs> Uh, intern there and but i was surrounded by some legends some radio legends uh howdy bell still living he's probably in his 80s now maybe 90s who covers the indianapolis 500 and uh lou sherman uh, uh staple in morning radio in indianapolis for decades and so i'm sitting with these guys watching them do and they they treated me with so much respect and like one of the team and so that was uh, that made a huge impression on me and I'd come in there and they'd let me do things like, you know, the weather or, you know, they'd, they'd throw me a bone here or there and let me jump in and, and not just watch, but mm -hmm. participate. Um, and then I transitioned from that, uh, to working for a station in Muncie, Indiana, which I thought was awesome. It was a 50,000 watt, uh, FM station. This music of your life station was this AM station that, you know, very few people listened to. And, and then I got to go to this FM station in a small town, but a huge FM station that played, uh, you know, pop music mm -hmm. and, so that was a cool transition. That was, so that was my first real job. But nine months into it, I got fired. Mm. And um, I remember thinking, well, my radio career is over. It was like, for me, it was like the bottom dropping out of mm -hmm. this career that had just barely uh, started. But I managed to find my way to another station a, a, few, a few weeks later in Indianapolis and uh, started working there. I worked there uh, mostly part-time for several years before being able to get my foot into a full-time position, a small staff. But I remember saying jokingly that for me to move up, for me to get a full-time gig there, somebody's going to have to die. Mm. And eventually somebody died. Mm. <laughs> and so that was the... Hopefully the, the family didn't uh, actually hear you say that, right? right? Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was the beloved general manager who we just adored, the okay. guy who led the station. Well, he passed away, and that started a domino mm. uh, effect of people moving up, and that created an opportunity for me uh, to uh, work there. And that eventually led, uh, my opportunity there led to coming to Nashville. Okay. Uh, a few years later, where I came to Nashville to work in the music business initially, mm. not not to do radio, but to work uh, at, a, at a record label okay. and do radio promotions. The guy responsible for getting our uh, songs played on the radio, and so I would call upon you know radio stations every week. So did that for a few years, and then eventually uh, got back into radio. Um, that so now we're talking about 2000. Came to Nashville in '96. And then in 2000, I started working at YFM and stayed there the whole second half of my radio career until about 2013. Okay. Wow. You were yeah. there a while. Yeah, yeah. So we moved here in 2000 and well, right around 2000. Okay. December of 2000. So we got married in 01. So mm -hmm. we found the station early on. Okay. Great. Great. So when life throws you a curveball, um, such as losing a job, mm. a big client or or something else, um, how do you react and how would you advise people to prepare for such an event? Yeah, I have been, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, fired from probably more jobs than I could count. I'd be hard-pressed to think of them all sitting yeah, right here. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that first music, that first record label job was one of them after a couple of years. Got let go there. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a situation that's happened to me a couple of times where the person who brought you in leaves mm, and yeah. then someone new comes in, they start, oh, I want to... It's right. like a coach of you know, NFL team. I want to bring in some of my own coaches, you know, kind of a thing. And so that's happened to me a couple of times. And I remember losing that job at that first record label and sitting in the HR person's office doing the exit interview. And I just started bawling. Mm -hmm. 
this is what I'd come to Nashville for. I'd been here less than two years and I failed and I didn't know what to do. And I was jobless for about six weeks before I found the next, the next job. And it was several weeks before I even told my family, everybody who was back in Indianapolis, I didn't even tell them because I was embarrassed. Mm. Uh, but then fast forward to when I lost the way FM job and that was a similar situation where the person who hired me left and we were in limbo for about nine or 10 months. And then somebody new comes in and they clean house and three of us, you know, go away. And that was a very different scenario. So I'm a different person. I'm much older. I'm more mature. I wasn't totally taken by surprise because I'd had the experience of this happening before. Mm -hmm. And my, I remember my wife two days after that happened, coming to me and, say, and saying or asking, I need to know what you're feeling because you're either really at peace about this or you're freaking out and just hiding it really well. <laughs> I don't even know which one it is. <laughs> right. And, and I said, I, I'm truly, honestly at peace. I don't know what's next, but I'm not worried about what that's going to be. I mean, they gave me some severance, so I had some right. time. to. Th I wasn't panicking or anything, but I had three years before this happened uh incidentally i had started a side business a side hustle and had been working that and thought well i'll just do that for the time being until i kind of figure out what i'm going to do long term mm -hmm. and that's exactly what i did and that was six years ago this month mm -hmm. when that job change came about and i've i tell people i've been happily unemployed <laughs> ever mm -hmm. since then doing my own thing so do you do you think it's always a, a case of where you know even if you have a full-time job like mm. thinking of something to do kind of on the side or i would highly recommend that um i think it's um really really smart in the margins of life obviously there are other obligations that, that many people are going to have whether that's right. young children or other you know spouse whatever but even if it's just five or ten hours a week uh carve out some time and be intentional about it maybe it's getting up a little extra early uh before the sun comes up and everybody else is still asleep and spending an hour five days a week you know working on your side hustle then that's kind of what I did early on. Um, and and I, I think you need something uh, just, uh, especially if your job doesn't um, sort of push all the buttons, mm -hmm. uh, a side hustle can, can be that. And for so many people with so many things changing in the job landscape and AI impacting things, um, not only creating new jobs, but eliminating jobs, I think it's just smart. It was a godsend for me when I lost that job to have the side hustle to jump into full time. I tell you what, within, I tell this story a lot, within 30 days of losing my job, I had invoiced twice my gross income in a month that you I was. You were doing website designs, right? Website yeah. and mobile apps. And okay. now it's, it's one thing to invoice it, another thing to have it in your hand. Right, right. But when I, when I saw in, in, in 30 days, I could, could invoice twice what my income used to be in a month, I knew that I was going to be okay, that... I, I could I could make money on my own and, and make a decent, at least a, a comparable living to what I'd been making. Right, right. Now, would you go back and advise, like maybe communicate if you you get let go um, in the earlier stages of life, so mm -hmm. you have people to lean on, or was it fun just going at it on your own for six weeks? Oh, in that that first scenario, yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't. I don't think it's smart to go it alone. Uh, for you know, I was single mm -hmm. when this happened. I was between marriages uh -huh. <laughs> uh, when when that first one happened and that probably was not healthy um I, I was reluctant to tell anybody i don't know how long it was before i told anybody at all i, I know if uh, i think my sister was the first person i told but that was probably a month after it happened mm -hmm. and again just kind of stressing about what's next and 
and not having anybody to talk to about it, I just don't think that was healthy. Mm-hmm. And I would never recommend which is really that. interesting because that was even in a, a scenario where like you shouldn't even been ashamed like you could look at the big picture and say well yeah you know this just happens but then you know of course looking back thinking god's in those details at times right. too and, right you know you never know so yeah. I, I found a way even though i shouldn't have i found a way to feel like a failure mm-hmm. it wasn't my fault it wasn't my doing uh, it wasn't anything i did but I found a way to make it my fault in in my mind uh, subconsciously. Yeah. So it's funny because the two jobs that I've gotten let go. Well, yeah, I mean, I kind of did one summer job. Um, I was working. I was working. My wife, girlfriend at the time, she was in uh, Europe Mm. studying abroad. I was working like 120 hours a week, like no joke. And um, Mm. I was working at a McDonald's distribution center. Wow. And um you know, I was I was always really efficient with productivity and like mm-hmm. I catch on quick and so the the managers like wanted me to stay on and I was making like twelve dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a ninety seven I think. Yeah, not too which bad. Was pretty good. Yeah. And uh and I was like I, I really think I kinda laugh like there's no way I would stay here. I'm gonna go to college and finish, you know. I think it kind of I think it was a little insult, you know. Mm-hmm. And um and so you had to pick products and so one night i had missed a couple products which we all miss them here and there well he decided to make an example of me i was going to work like three more days and so he Mm -hmm. decided just yeah today's your last day you know which really ticked me off and everybody else was like man that's just wrong you're going to go out on his terms instead of your own exactly and so i've had that happen too (laughs) so something um so i was going to work like the next day or something yeah yeah. yeah, the rebellious person to me is like, you know what? There was something I wanted to go to this night. I'm like, yeah, I won't be here. So I didn't show up <laughs> the last day, which had been me in the butt later because like yeah. later on it was during, um, cause again, good money mm-hmm. during Thanksgiving. I had reached out to maybe get a month in of work and they're like, yeah, no, you left on bad terms. I'm like, dang. <laughs> and then the other time, um, I got let go of a transportation company. I'd worked mm-hmm. there two years and they created my, my position for me. Mm-hmm. And the economy tanked in 07, and really, it was one that it was hard to justify. I mean, right. I used to manage truck drivers and with J.B. Hunt, so I knew that it's like, mm, technically, you don't need my position. You mm-hmm. know? And uh, I was the same way. It was like, I was in shock, <laughs> but I was also about to be stuck in a maintenance shop, old school, mm. smoking cigarettes, like yeah. in the office, did not want to be there. So, yeah. oh man, it was a, a super blessing in disguise. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really was. So talk to me about finding purpose in podcasting versus being concerned about, you know, making the money to pay the bills mm. in it, which that happens all the time, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of folks uh, go at it. It's sort of well, some, I sometimes affectionately refer to as the John Lee Dumas effect. Mm. Uh, good friend, uh, and, and John's done very well as a podcaster. And I think a lot of people are podcasting because they've seen that example. And it's not kind of like those late night infomercials. They don't understand that mm. results are not typical, <laughs> you know, uh, of, of how successful John has been. Uh, but he's, having said that, he's helped a lot of people uh, become successful podcasters at the same time, as I would like to think I have as well as a consultant and someone who he sends clients to. But um, I think you really have to go at it uh, as a passion and understanding why you're doing it. I think the most important question about a lot of things you need to answer is, why am I doing this podcast? And I even recommend to clients when I'm uh, consulting someone on a podcast that they ask themselves that question and answer why. You know, If someone stopped you in, a, uh, in an elevator and said, why do you do such and such? 
you need to be able to answer that question and even go so far as to articulate that why in your podcast. I'm a big fan of uh, Simon Sinek, uh, his book, Start With Why. Uh, he says people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And mm -hmm. if you can articulate that why in an emphatic and unapologetic and compelling way, I think that's what will draw people into what you're doing. And you have to have answered that for yourself so that when the going gets tough or when those moments of, of emotional hit you where you're like, should I continue doing this? Why am I doing this anymore? And it's not doing this or that. It, that, that why at the core will help push you through. Uh, for me, for example, uh, if someone were to say, Jeff, why do you do the Read to Lead podcast, my podcast, I would say, because I believe that intentional and consistent reading is key to success in business and in life. And it's because of that belief that I, I want to encourage and help as many people as I can to understand the value in reading and lifelong learning so that they can apply what they've learned and go much further than they could otherwise. I've mm -hmm. seen that exhibited in my own life. And so it's that belief that drives why I do the show, why I've done it now for almost six years. Without that, I think there have been many times where I could have, mm -hmm. you know, floundered or stopped doing it. Now, there may come a time when I shelve it and decide, okay, that's, that chapter's over, nothing wrong with that. But those, you know, what is it now, 270 episodes, or, uh, if I were to quit tomorrow, you know, continue on for as long as I want to leave right. them out there. So Yeah. All right, cool. So find your why. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was just listening to uh, Bob Goff. He just started mm. a podcast. Okay, awesome. Um, and he was interviewing a guy in Afghanistan, and he was talking about, you know, just the turmoil over there. But also mm. the guys, um, you know, making a big impact there in a positive right. way. And he talked about just the vision. And mm. it's like, how do you, you know, keep pushing through when there's so much resistance? Right, you know? And he's right. like, the hope, you know, and seeing the big why he's doing it you yeah, know? yeah so uh yeah. yeah i guess that's i guess that's why it's uh important to have that that mission statement mm -hmm. and really give it a lot of thought absolutely into why you're yeah. doing that to remind yourself in days that when it's like man i really don't want to do this <laughs> it's like well why are you doing it right. okay all right you know let's get that excitement back that's right all right so um tell me about a person who had a huge influence on your life mm. um and who is someone you are currently following or learning from Mm. Uh, yeah, somebody who had a huge impact on my life when I was young was a uh, band director I had in junior high, uh, Craig Reisner was his name. And I had a chance to have dinner with him about a decade ago now. Uh, so, But, you know, 20 or so years removed from, from high school. He was my junior high band director. And then when I went to high school, he just so coincidentally moved to the high school. So I had him all six years from seventh grade to, to uh, senior but he was a teacher who sort of took me under his wing. He taught me so much, not just about music, but just about life and just genuinely poured into his, his students. Uh, and so when I think of like a favorite teacher, the favorite mentor, especially when I was at that young, impressionable age, it'd be, mm -hmm. it'd be Craig for sure. And I was able to, to tell him that when we had that dinner about a decade ago to, to just say all those things I'd been thinking about for 20 years or right. so, right. but I never had a chance to, to mention to him. And as far as now goes, you got several people. I love learning from people like Dan Miller, uh, people like Michael Hyatt. Uh, he's been a, I would consider him a, uh, a mentor of mine for, for probably about a decade now. I started following him when he was still the um, uh, CEO, I guess, at Thomas Nelson. Yeah. Um, and he had a blog called uh, From Where I Sit, I think was the name of it. And I was working at WayFM and trying to figure out social media and how digital was going to impact radio and mm -hmm. 
Chris Brogan is another guy who I learned a lot from last decade in that regard and who I consider a friend and, and still get to, to chat with every now and then. So I'd say Chris and Dan and Michael are probably the, you asked for one, but those are the three oh, that come fine. to mind. Yeah, it's usually not just one. <laughs> um, what was that? You said something that made me think um, you were talking about. Oh, when you talked about going back to the person, your, you know, the, yeah. your uh, music director. Yeah. Teacher. Um, it, good point. You know, it's like, as we roll through life, like give, give some thought to who has made an impact. Cause yeah. you never know tomorrow they might not be here, you know? So taking Absolutely. the time to, uh, to thank them yeah. in a letter or something, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. it's good. I'll, I'll always think about my, uh, one of my best friends growing up, his dad, Tommy, um, he was a hard worker, mm. uh, probably worked too hard, but <laughs> the work ethic and, you know, his, uh, and a big part was the goodwill, like, mm you know, when he sold his business, like there was a big change because mm. like mm. people went there because of him, yeah. you know, he was that personal touch and he opened up a dry cleaners and same thing, you know, he killed it because his personal touch, you know, mm. so yeah, it, it made a big mm. impact on me. And so at this moment, what are your top five books? Who, why? Oh gosh. Can you say that? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> like picking your favorite child right now. Um, <laughs> Let's see, three that immediately come to mind. I'll try to think of two more, but three that immediately come to mind are Atomic Habits by James Clear, which came out late last year, fall last year. And these, these are sort of interconnected. Uh, the 12-Week Year by Brian Moran and Michael Lennington. And uh, The Best Year Ever by Michael Hyatt. In fact, I recommended early this year that, that everyone read those three books to start uh, the year, uh, just because I think when it comes to goal setting, when it comes to taking things that you have called dreams for too long and turning them into realities, those three books together can really go a long way. I love uh, the 12 week year in the sense that it encourages you to not think about 12 months, but mm -hmm. 12 weeks becomes 12 months. At least that's how you, 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 you think about it. That's how you approach that quarter uh, and set your goals accordingly. Uh, and then you know, Michael's one of the one of the best uh, there is with goal setting and accomplishing goals. So best year ever, I think, is great for that. Um, and Atomic Habits has just been uh, James Clear's book has been great for me and just working on those things that I have stopped and started and not been able to stick with and mm -hmm. understanding how our brains work and how we can overcome those setbacks um, and actually instill uh, and program ourselves to actually do the things we really want to do and are really desire to do as hard as they may be whether mm -hmm. that's for me you know running three or four times a week for example uh, is something that that i want to do from from just a health and exercise standpoint but it's not something i necessarily enjoy doing mm -hmm. uh and so james book has helped me there um let's see a couple more i would say um die empty unleash your best work every day by todd henry both came out about five or so years ago uh, todd's written several books that i enjoy but that's but that's one of my one of my favorites. Uh, just it's just about leaving it all on on, on the field, you mm -hmm. know. Let's see a fifth book. Um, gosh, if I were to pick a fifth one, I would say you know I'd probably say Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Um, that's obviously a well known book. I read that book like in two thousand seven or two thousand eight, five or so years before I started doing my own thing. But that book opened my eyes to so to what opportunities are out there for mm -hmm. the average individual. I think the, the, the title is a little overhyped. You know, it's, I mean, nobody's going to work four hours, but uh, I mean, the point is 
so many of us, uh, whether it's online business or whatever, can leverage our time and scale our businesses so that we're we're not having to work, you know, our mm. fingers to the bone to make a decent living. And that's right. that's what Tim's book opened my eyes to okay. way back then, about eleven years ago now. So all right, cool. Some good books. I, I know I have. I think I have two or three of them. Mm. I don't know that I've read them all. But. <laughs> um, all right. So we both know books are very important to keep yeah. growing and learning as a person. Why is it important? And what is the point? Or is there a point where you say enough for this season because mm. you are just consuming, not applying? Yeah, that's a great question. I have a an online book club uh, as part of uh, uh, Read to Lead. There are listeners who are in this book club where we read a book every month, a new okay. book every month, and we meet at the end of the month to talk about okay. it as a group. And there's been some discussion along those lines. At what point do I just keep learning and learning and learning? The whole point of the podcast, the whole point of the, of the book club is to apply what we're learning. And so we've we've made a concerted effort to do more of that. And, and I, I said something to one of the members that oftentimes when I read, it's not always about learning something new. It's knowing that when I read, like right now, and I probably should have mentioned this book in my top five, I'm reading Principles by Ray Dalio, a book that came out several years ago. And I read that book. It's like a 600-page book, and I'm about 300 pages in. And I read books like that because I know how they affect my thinking. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's more of a, I want to soak up this person's knowledge and hear their take on these things because I've thought about them this way. This person thinks about them slightly differently so that that can form or inform how I approach similar scenarios down the road. So a lot of it's just informing the way I think and approach things. And I guess that in itself is learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's not always about, okay, what five things am I going to go now and put into practice now that I've read this book? It's I'm going to read this and know that because I've read it and I'm soaking it up and I'm uh, I'm writing the things I want to remember out by hand mm-hmm. that that's going to impact my thinking down the road. And that to me is, is one of my favorite aspects of reading is just soaking up the knowledge and, and, and of others and how they approach scenarios that I can maybe think about differently. So do you think, um, as far as it's, it's always good to kind of focus on the learning aspect of mm-hmm. reading or incorporating fiction into it, you know, entertainment into it, like, would you because if you're in a job say you're in a assembly line job yeah and like yeah. there's not a whole lot of going up you know yeah. if you're doing your you know 50 hour work week or whatever is it still good to you know keep pumping that stuff in there fiction nonfiction? yeah you know what i mean yeah I th- I, yeah nothing wrong with reading for entertainment at all uh, i mean I, I love books like you know lord of the rings you know that's kind of my if i'm going to read fiction it's something like that um, or The Hobbit, you know, I'm a big mm-hmm. Tolkien fan, C.S. Lewis fan. But yeah, I think, uh, I think creatively, especially those kinds of books mm-hmm. can spur creativity the way maybe that nonfiction books are less likely to do. So I, it just happens to be something that I don't do as much of uh, as I do the other. Right. And part of that is because what I've created uh, in the podcast and other aspects of that require me to do so much reading in this area that right. there isn't a lot of time for the other kind of reading, mm-hmm. frankly, for me personally, but I definitely recommend yeah. fiction. So I guess it de- depends on where you're at you know, yeah, yeah. in life. Um, all right. So talk to me about what it takes to bridge the gap between intention and implementation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, for starters, uh, that's about surrounding yourself with people who are as passionate as you are about 
getting the most out of life. And by that, I mean uh, people who are serious as you are about achieving the things that, that they want to achieve. And so for me, that's mastermind groups. That's surrounding myself, particularly with other men, and in some cases, uh, some uh, uh, co-ed groups that are pushing me and encouraging me and challenging me and spurring me uh, to do things that on my own, I may not have the courage to do. Mm-hmm. And so that for me, as much as anything has been the huge difference maker. I know when I, when I transitioned out of this last job into working for myself, uh, there were some men in the group that I was meeting with on a weekly basis who encouraged me to do things that, that involved asking other people to say yes to something. And, and I had, had refused to do those things early on. In other words, I had said no for the person without asking. And that's, that's what somebody challenged me with. You've, you've said no for this other person by not asking them. Mm. Ask them. Yeah. The worst thing they can say is no. Don't say no for them. Um, and I can think of two specific instances where I asked somebody about doing something or doing something with me. Um, and in both instances, they said yes when I had already said no. But it was because of these men pushing me to ask anyway and go outside my comfort zone that led to so many wonderful opportunities mm. now for years that without them in my corner, I never would have experienced. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I mean, really like, like I can trace a lot over the last probably four years back to mm. reading, take the stairs by Rory Vader. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I listened to one of his podcasts and Aaron Walker was on it. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, I ended up jumping into a mastermind mine there and yeah. like, you know, so much has evolved from that. Right. Right. And I, I, which I, I wonder where take the stairs came from. I must have been looking up discipline or something, you know, <laughs> right, right. and I read it. And I was like, man. All right, so what are some of your biggest takeaways from hosting a podcast show or even coaching people around the world? If you step back and looked um, mm. over the last six years, what would make you go, wow, that was awesome? Yeah, you know, I when I started my podcast and I decided I was going to do an interview-based podcast, I never really thought about just sort of the built-in networking aspect of that, what that was going to do. I mean, I look at the people I've met, like, or t- had, you know, 45-minute conversations with John Maxwell, one-on-one, or Seth Godin. I mean, if I if I wanted to um, sit down with him face-to-face, or if I didn't have a podcast, it would probably cost me thousands of dollars to do that. But through a podcast, that they, you know, that they would say yes to chatting with me, just me, Mm-hmm. For 30 minutes or 40 minutes, that, that just blows me away. And I, going into it, I didn't really think. I had a 45-minute a, a conversation with Alan Alda once for my podcast, an actor who I've admired for, mm. for decades, you know, Hawkeye from, you know, MASH, uh, and has gone on to write, write books and, uh, and, and everything else he's done. And if you'd have told me that I'd be chatting with people like that one-on-one, I would have just thought you were crazy. So the, the networking um, opportunity that's provided... And then being able to to coach people through the process, I've met people all over the world, uh, Singapore and Australia and China and um, Europe. I mean, everywhere, uh, even Canada, <laughs> that I have coached uh, through that process, and in all walks of life, doing all kinds of different podcasts, and it's just been uh, amazing uh, how much it's grown my network and i just thought i was going to be a guy in, in a spare bedroom in my house doing this little podcast that maybe a few people will listen to and i even begun to talk about the i don't know 145 or so countries that the podcast has listened to and mm-hmm. you know yeah. 
Um, I just had somebody tell me the other day, literally last week at lunch, who's a big fan of my podcast. Uh, they're in town every so often, and we had lunch. And she told me this series of events that led to this couple that uh, the wife was 40, having a baby at, at 40. And she showed me a picture of the baby and said, Jeff, you're part of that baby's story. Mm. It's because I listened to your podcast that I met so-and-so, and I was able to introduce that person to this person who introduced him to that doctor who said, yes, you can have a baby at four. And all this yeah. kind of these little connections. Yep. And she's like, because of your podcast, that that baby is here. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you got to be kidding. I mean, I was like goosebumps all over and almost cried. And I mean, maybe that's uh, it, it, maybe you look at that and go, well, that's kind of stretching it, don't you think? Well, as she explained, she did a much better job than I did. But as she mapped it all out, I was like, without one of those series of events happening, that that individual isn't mm -hmm. isn't born. And it blew me away. Yeah, no, I think I think that, you know, is if you can, well, that's what I said, kind of get a bird's eye view. But mm -hmm. when you trace back stuff to a person or an incident, yeah. you know, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I was actually telling uh, Linda, I work with, who's a good friend, um, just about the podcast, you mm -hmm. know, because I was like, yeah, I got a couple that I'm doing this week. And I'm like, you know, because I knew the networking part would be mm -hmm. you know, pretty big. You yeah. Know, and it's what I enjoy. Yeah. But. Yeah, it's it's just you know, Ness's mine's obviously more Nashville mm -hmm, based, mm -hmm. but just the amount of people doors that it opens because right. you know I got this little Rambler camper. <laughs> hey, I can pull up to your house That's and right. I sweat a bit. I definitely <laughs> got to fix that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is really it, it's pretty cool how yeah. it like you said it just opens up. It makes. And easy. And that's where I was like, I'm having these conversations with people. I'm like, why not record it in video and talk about something specific, you know? Right, right. Um, so, yeah, it is pretty It is pretty neat, mm. you know. And how many of those stories are out there that you don't even that know? That I don't even know, know about. Yeah, totally. All right. So, uh, yeah, this is we're going a little longer. You okay with that? Oh, yeah. Um, in a world of social media, books, coaching, podcasting, news, basically the potential for information overload. How important is it to set boundaries to protect yourself from overconsumption? Yeah, I've had to, to really uh, make a concerted effort to do that uh, here, especially recently. Um, I think that time blocking is huge. Um, a book I just read called Accomplish It. You have to be careful how fast you say those two words together. Accomplish mm -hmm. it. Um, and <laughs> maybe that was the point, right? I, I, I mean, think, really, right? I think maybe it was. Um, I told my wife after I interviewed this person for my show, I'm like, I didn't realize until I started saying the title out loud that yeah. Was that intentional? You know? <laughs> I'm sure it was. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so there's books like that. There's, there's, I mentioned Michael Hyatt earlier. He's got a book out called um, Free to Focus. I use his planner. Um, I'm time blocking now, mm -hmm. and that's really helping me, meaning there, there isn't a lot of white space in my calendar. I remember uh, showing a friend my ideal week and how every hour was accounted for, essentially. You know, I was filled up. And trying to suggest to her that this is this is what you need and she looked at my calendar and said well i don't want to be that busy and what she missed was this isn't me being busy this is me in advance of the week accounting for how i'm going to spend my time the next seven days much like we do with a budget and we you know tell our money uh, where we want it to go instead of as dave ramsey says mm -hmm. instead of getting it in the month and wondering where it went right this is me telling my time where i want it to go and i, I uh, some people ask me well jeff how do you find the time to read it's because i'm intentional about mm -hmm. it and i schedule time to read that sort of three hour daily ritual I talked about earlier. Part of that is a half hour of reading right. every morning. And I have other times during the week where I do that. My whole week, um, every pretty much hour of the day from sunup to sundown pretty much is blocked out. 
And so I'll have appointments and podcast interviews and things of that nature. But then before the week begins, I'm like, okay, I've got this four hours of white space there. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do during that time? Well, I'm working on these projects. That's a good time where I could do some writing or whatever the thing might be. And so I think it's really important that we do that with our time. And if we will, and then be mindful about things like you know, put do not disturb on, on your phone and uh, your mm -hmm. devices during those blocks of time where you're going to do deep work uh, so that you're not getting those you know, interruptions mm -hmm. all the time. Um, consider taking certain apps off your phone if you need to, if that's a problem for you, you know, uh, and, and just check social media on your when you're on your desktop or your mm -hmm. laptop or what have you. Those are some some methods you could try. But for me, it's been about turning off notifications setting a timer and working for you know pomodoro techniques working for 25 minutes taking a five minute break and then going back and and just giving myself permission to be focused uh, and not just let the day come and go and wonder okay what did i accomplish right. I, I can be intentional about that from the start so i don't know if it was maybe it was i don't know if it was michael hyatt or who it was but somebody recently i listened to one they talked about setting you know time restrictions on their phone and they actually mm. gave their spouse you know, access to block it out. So if they yeah. were on Facebook over an hour or whatever mm. day, like they couldn't access it. You know? Right, right. There's, I mean, that is the cool thing with technology is that it can be a hindrance, but then there's a lot of stuff you can, you know. Right. All right. So um, let's talk a bit about your wife. How did you both meet and what was the proposal story? Uh, we met on a missions trip in Reynosa, Mexico. Okay. Um, I was working at WayFM at the time, and something that the station did about every once every year was uh, take a bunch of listeners on a missions trip. And about six weeks before the trip, we were doing a blood drive at the station where we had both uh, corridors, uh, both hallways lined up with listeners who were coming to give blood. And we had our commons area, had gurneys there in the commons area. And I was on the air at the time, and I would come out and say hi to people, and it was in the afternoon. And I remember seeing this woman in line and thinking, wow. Uh, and thinking, oh, she's probably spoken for, and I don't have the courage to say anything to her anyway, so whatever. Well, six weeks later, I'm in Brownsville, Texas, getting ready to cross the border to go to Reynosa, Mexico, on this mission trip the station's doing, and we're waiting for the last bus of people to show up. And that same woman that I had noticed six weeks before walks into the room. And I thought, this is a sign from God. And so <laughs> I thought, well, now I've got a week to work up the nerve to talk to this person. And with, I think, a day two, mm -hmm. I, I, I broke in line and started a conversation with her uh, and became friends and started dating when we got back. And a year later, we were we were married. Um, I proposed to her in Pinkerton Park in Franklin under a tree with some sushi I'd picked up and put it in a cooler. And <laughs> that was one of our favorite things to do. Um, I'd written out a sort of a, a life plan that I shared with her during that proposal and kind of how, how I saw what I saw for our future kind of thing and um, sort of the promises I was making as a man mm -hmm. to her uh, as her potential future husband. Yeah. And so that was in July of that year, four, July 14th to be exact. And two weeks later, I got her dad's permission to, to ask her. Uh, but two weeks after I proposed, we eloped. Really? <laughs> and that did not go over so well. Oh, that's funny. It's like, well, we can't handle it. Let's just elope. <laughs> yeah. Did y'all end up having a bigger ceremony at some point or not? We have not yet, no. Okay. Uh, and uh, we're coming up on 18 years. So, <laughs> we have so not yet. Maybe 20 years we'll do something like that. So but, when did you yeah. get married? What what year? Uh, let's see, 2000, 
2001. Yeah. <laughs> 2001, yeah. So, Ju- July? July, 2001. So, yeah. we were September of 01. Okay. Oh, yeah. oh. Yeah, actually, oh. we were September the 22nd, so right after it. You know, it's funny you say that because um, my roommate on that missions trip in September of 01 married her roommate that was on the missions trip. Mm. Oh, wow. The Saturday after 9-11. Really? So it was less than a week. Yeah. Um, of course, people are like, are y'all going to go on your honeymoon? I'm like, well, this is probably the safest this is ever going to be, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, everybody's on alert. Yeah. Yeah. But man, I, gosh, I felt so, yeah, so much, so bad for the, well, so bad for the whole country, but right. to, right. to, to have that cloud over the wedding so, so soon after was just not yeah. easy. Yeah. And ours, ours was just a couple months before that. Yeah. 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 So how, um, how do you feel you're impacting the others around you or how are you hoping to be making an impact? Yeah. Um, you know, it, I thrive on getting that feedback. Uh, like that friend who shared that baby story with me last week. I mean, I, I wish I was in situations where I got more feedback like that. I mean, I know those kinds of things are happening. That's great. But I, 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 I don't often hear from listeners of the podcast, podcast listeners I have found, uh, maybe mm-hmm. this is just me and my show, but they listen and they get what they need and they move on. And they're not always, you know, depending on the kind of show you're doing, I guess, not real, uh, you know, communicative. Right. I did recently an online conference, though, uh, called the Boss Free Virtual Summit. And, oh, my gosh, I got tons of feedback. And, 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 and thankfully, um, overwhelmingly positive mm-hmm. feedback from, from speakers, from attendees. And it was just really gratifying to, to see how people are. And, and the whole point of that and, uh, and really read to lead by extension was to help uh, other people understand and realize people who think that they might have something more than and not that there's anything wrong with the job. Mm-hmm. That's great. But they, they have aspirations to work for themselves or, or do their own thing. I wanted to open up eyes and doors and opportunities for more people to do that. So that's what that whole summit mm-hmm. was about. And this becomes sort of a passion of mine. I've even kicked around the idea of maybe I do a podcast centered around that at some point in the future. Uh, but that's, that's been a lot of, it was a lot of work. It was four or five months worth of work just to, for this eight day summit. But, um, but boy, was it, was it worth it? Hmm. Uh, and cool. and the, the feedback I'm getting, has just been great. Yeah. So, so it's continually making an impact. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's new. Yeah. Um, all right. So I know you shared recently on your podcast about a few moments when you froze. Uh, I believe, right? And you are uh, correct. So people yeah. often freeze in life and miss out on so much. Talk to me about some practical tips to push through fear and anxiety. Yeah, I think it action. It just it's going to require action. I used to fear public speaking, um, and so I, I said that's something that I know is going to help me if I can overcome that fear, um, help my business, and and hopefully help people. Um, and I'm just going to have to start doing it. And so I started small you know, small groups and work my way up to larger groups. And it just gets less and less terrifying every time you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 a colleague of mine recently did his first TEDx talk and had that worst possible moment happen where he gets three minutes into it and forgets what he's going to say and literally has to collect himself and pull his phone out and look at his notes. And you've got, you know, this 30 seconds that feels like 30 days and it's TED, you know, it's TEDx. Um, and he managed to get through the rest of it, but that was like his worst fear. But you know what? He said afterwards, I didn't die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I learned from that. That's an experience that I can now leverage and tell people this happened to me and this is how I handled it. And it's not the end of the world. And he, all the ways you can 
find the silver lining in that cloud, right? Um, and I think we we need to push ourselves to do things that we're that make us uncomfortable, mm-hmm. get outside our comfort zone because that's where the magic happens. You know, right. it's it's not it's not just staying comfortable Coasting, all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah take yeah. little baby steps. Yeah. All right, so now we're going to do the Nashville real estate minute. Mm. How long have you lived in Nashville? It has been just over twenty three years. Nineteen ninety six was when I moved here. Nice. So you've seen the growth. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you like it? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm glad I don't have a commute anymore. Uh, going up North 65 first thing in the morning from Spring Hill into Franklin or Franklin into Nashville. But uh, other than that, yeah, I like. It. <laughs> so, what made you choose Nashville? Um, well, it was a job for me at first, but um, uh, that lasted a couple of years. Um, but by then, I'd already like I I love this place. I've mm-hmm. I've been here just a few years shy. Uh, of the time I spent growing up in Indiana. Yep. And so uh, I, this feels like home to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, even after just a couple of years, it felt that way. And I didn't I didn't want to live anywhere else. Yeah, I'm kind of right there with you. I, mm-hmm. I realize I've, I've lived here longer than I've lived where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Not totally in Arkansas. Actually, no, I might have. Yeah. Um, all right, so the community, uh, why, why'd you choose this community? And, um, and what location are you in? I'm in Spring Hill. Excuse me. I'm in Spring Hill, and uh, my wife and I chose uh, the Oak Lake subdivision in Spring Hill where we live. Um, at the time, mainly because it was sort of like halfway between church and where I worked. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I no longer work where I used to work, but uh, but yeah, we, we have just loved it here. Uh, Spring Hill has grown tremendously, um, and we live in a neighborhood where uh, you know we've got some space, um, and it's relatively quiet. We've got a nice view uh, out the back deck, great neighbors. Um, and everybody's just so friendly, you know, uh, I mean, not just here in Spring Hill, but all over Middle Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, we love it. And, and we've, this is the only house we've ever owned and I don't see us moving anytime soon. Well, that's not good, man. I'm in real estate. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they say you should move like a seven year, right? Yeah, so, I have heard that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> even though, let's see, Hudson is four. And if we were to move in the next year, maybe two, I would envision us being in there until he's out. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, we probably wouldn't fit that mold either. <laughs> uh, all right, so tell me a great memory that you often share about Nashville. Hmm, great memory about uh, Nashville. Um, let me think. I got to think of a good one. Well, you know, I remember coming to visit Nashville before I lived here. And I just as a vacationer as a tourist and i was in radio at the time in indianapolis and i remember when i visited here thinking you know i could see myself living here someday and and maybe i would what would i do maybe i'd work in the music business and i'd do radio part-time yeah that would be i'd love to be close to where the music's being made that's what nashville is known for is the music business and lo and behold if not like a handful of years later four or five years later i was living in nashville and that's exactly what i was doing i was working in the music business and doing radio part-time so um, that that memory of coming here and just being a tourist for a few days and going, I could live here. And then eventually that exact thing happened. So. Mm-hmm. Well, that was good. You envisioned it, experienced <laughs> it, and now you're here, which is what probably many people have done. Yeah, They've come yeah. and visited and loved it. Um, all right. So what do you look for in a good real estate agent, <laughs> even though you have no interest in looking for one because you won't ever move? <laughs> Wait, yes, sir. I think uh, somebody who um, is, is just someone I can trust, you know, someone I, I, I feel like I have a good rapport with, 
um, someone who I think at the, on the, at the early stages does a good job of really interviewing my wife and I mm-hmm. and getting to know like what our needs are, what our likes and dislikes are. Um, and if, if, if they're willing to invest some time doing that and they're just a nice person, <laughs> and they're, yeah. uh, that's, that's what I need in a real estate agent, you know, and, yeah. and someone who will take that time to invest in what, what we need. And then, um, who's just fun to hang around with, mm-hmm. uh, the, the woman who served as our, our real estate agent when we bought this house very much uh, fits that mold. We didn't know her beforehand, had a time to get to know her and, um, uh, just clicked. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think, um, hitting it off with your real estate agent is something you really need to be able to do it. Uh, right. So to be a good one, you know, a people person, obviously, and, and someone who can adapt and adjust. Um, I look for that in a real estate agent, someone who's conversational, mm-hmm. uh, as silly as that may sound, someone who, no. uh, yeah. uh, it's just fun to talk to. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I, I agree 100%. Um, all right. So what advice would you give to someone looking to move to Nashville? Do it. <laughs> do it now. Do it now. Um, While well, there's still time, get to the chopper. No, uh, <laughs> I don't know where they came from. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say um, you will not regret it. I certainly have not. It's been 20, my family may regret it. All my family back at eating apples may regret it, but uh, I go back there several times a year. But um, yeah, I have. I've never wanted. Once I lived uh, moved here, I have never wanted to live anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Now, I've moved several times in and around the, right. the middle of Tennessee area. Uh, but I love the weather. I love that there are actually four seasons. Uh, mm-hmm. None of them are too necessarily extreme. You know, winters are relatively okay, you know, mild. And and so I, I just love everything about it. And there's lots to do. Um, and it's just, it's just We a need a theme place. park. Yeah, well, we do need that. I do. I, I, I was just thinking the other day, I was like, why don't we have a theme park? You know? We used to. I know. Well, and it was gone before I got here. Oh, okay. You too, right? Or was it still it, there? Well, maybe a year? I think they said it. Yeah, in, well, within a year or two after I okay. lived here, I think. I remember going to it the year that I moved here. Okay. So, it, But it wasn't much longer after that. that yeah, it was I'm gone. surprised they haven't yeah. gotten one back here. Yeah. All right. So shout out one of your favorite restaurants and favorite nonprofits and why? Uh, you know, I love, uh, my wife and I have uh, fallen in love with uh, Connor's Steakhouse Okay. Uh, in uh, Cool Springs. Uh, there where they're building or adding all those new places yeah, in the mall parking lot. About, yeah. you know? um, and so Connor's Steakhouse Connors, is our okay. favorite place to go. And nonprofits, uh, my wife and I have been big supporters um, uh, to a couple. One is Compassion International. We sponsor uh, children through Compassion. Uh, so that would be on the national or international front, I guess. Uh, but then on the local front, uh, we uh, donate to some women's shelters. Uh, my wife has some experiences in her past prior to meeting me. I want to make that clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where uh, she had some relationships that were not good situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very near and dear to her. And, and so much so to the extent that she goes out and speaks to women's groups oftentimes okay. on warning signs and things to look out for and that sort of thing and trying to help women avoid what she went through. Um, and so mm-hmm. uh, giving to the, and some crisis pregnancy centers here locally as well. Uh, my wife, um, uh, we have a whole garage full of power tools. Okay. None of which I really know how to use. Uh, she was just out sawing something earlier today. I'd probably cut my finger off if I tried that, but she's always, you know, building things, creating things, taking things from, she's a dumpster diver and she'll mm-hmm. take these different things and put them together and make some new thing out of them and furniture and all this. 
And uh, she'll do a couple of events a year, sometimes here at our home, uh, where she's selling those things, and she'll give all the money away to one of these one of these okay. charities. That's so cool. she loves doing that. Yeah, nice. All right. So last question from the great words of Paul and Timothy four seven. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. When your journey's over, what kind of legacy are you hoping to leave? Yeah. Gosh. Great question. Um, uh, the legacy that I am hoping to leave is is one that when people look at my body of work, they say, I want to do my work with excellence the way Jeff did his work. It, that can be a, 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 an issue for some. Uh, we can turn that into trying to be perfectionists. Mm -hmm. uh, done is certainly better than perfect, but I think anything worth doing is worth doing well. And so when I work with co uh, coaching clients or whomever, um, I want to encourage people to do whatever it is they're doing with excellence. And I think scripture calls us to do that. And so I hope when people look back over that, they, they see that and they see something they want to emulate because it was good, because it was um, done well. But then even more than that, um, just to have people who make discoveries because of something I published or something that I said or something that I wrote, something that I recorded, whether it was for me or somebody I interviewed that impacts them to do something they didn't think they were capable of doing. Mm -hmm. That that really is the crux of it, I think. Yep. All right. Well, Jeff, thank you for your uh, time. Thank you. Um, I think we got some food waiting, right? We got some baby back ribs. Mm. <laughs> um, all right. So tell the listeners where they can uh, connect with you. Uh, yeah. The easiest place is read to lead podcast dot com. All right. And they can find everything they need to know about That's right. what you're all about. That's correct. All right. Cool. Well, thanks again for your time. Thank you. And that's Jeff's story. I am sure you pulled a lot of great nuggets out. I had to keep staying focused. The funny thing is in the camper, I have a, a air condition, but sometimes it doesn't always keep up with the heat. And that day I was kind of excited because it was cloudy overcast. It was pretty nice. And as soon as I pull up to his house, clouds moved. We were right in the sun with no shade. Uh, thankfully, uh, he stayed uh, cool. Well, I don't know about cool, but cool enough. And I uh, had to make sure I was paying attention to his question because I was thinking about how can I modify this uh, camper to make sure this does not happen again. I did come up with a couple good ideas. Anyway, so uh, hopefully you enjoyed that, pulled some good stuff out, and make sure to look up Jeff Brown. Make sure to tune into his podcast, Read the Lead, and um, you can, you know, and you can hear more about what he has going on. And if you're in Nashville, he comes to the uh, Nashville Podcasters Meetup, and he's uh, spoken uh, quite a few times and given some great advice. So uh, make sure to check him out. The sponsors for the podcast are the one and only me, Andrew Buckwalter, with Buckwalter Impact Group of Benchmark Realty. If you have any real estate needs in Nashville, if you're looking to buy or sell or looking for investment properties, make sure to give me a shout. I love doing the podcast. I love meeting new people. I love sharing the stories and sharing what others are doing in Nashville. But first of all, I love real estate. So I am here to help you. If you have any lender needs, make sure to give Brandon Hutchison 
a shout with Legacy Mutual. And if you are in need of a good title, David Weber with Limestone Title and Escrow would love to have your business. Next week, make sure to tune in. I sit down with Chef Rahoff Amur. She is a friend that I met through uh, some Arkansas alumni, and um, I've kind of watched her career as she's uh, making a splash in the the culinary chef food scene. I don't know if that's how you technically name it all, but that's what I call it. But anyway, she was recently on uh, Chopped uh, from the Food Network, and she talks about that experience and how awesome it was and and uh, all she's kind of got going on, and how uh, one of the one of the great takeaways I love from her interview is how she had a, a passion early on to uh, cook, and whenever it was time to graduate high school, she wanted to go to culinary school, but but her parents wanted her to go to college, so she got her degree, and uh, after she was done, she still had that passion to cook, so she. Uh, pursued that route and I just thought that was a cool takeaway sometimes as parents we uh we tend to want what's best for our kids but sometimes it's not always best um so anyways we talked about that a bit and uh so I know you'll enjoy that so make sure you tune in to that as always thanks for your time listening to this episode feel free to share any of the episodes or this podcast with your friends and family And make sure if you have not hit that subscribe button, go ahead and do that. So you'll be notified when I come out with a new episode. And I did take a, I think as I said earlier, I took a couple months off. But uh, I am back to being consistent. So I got quite a few in the bank. And um, so make sure you don't miss any of those. And uh, any feedback as well, I'm always open to uh, some um, positive feedback. Um, What's the word? Not critical. Ah, one blank. Anyway, so, uh, yep, do that. And now sit back, turn up the volume, and here is a song from Moat. Such a wonder I'm trying to save us All the time I'm pleading Oh, it's all my love 
Reflecting back into the sun Into the sun We've come so far anyway Down the moments way To make the meaning clear as day Such a wonder I'm trying to save us all the time. I'm pleading was all my love, reflecting back into the sun. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Nashville Untold with Andrew Buckwalter. We encourage you to leave us a rating or review on iTunes. And be sure to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. To be a guest on the show or to share your thoughts, send us an email to podcast at andrewbuckwalter.com. Until next time, 